Specialty Story, session number 120. Whether you are a pre-med or a medical student, you've answered the calling to become a physician. Soon you'll have to start deciding what type of medicine you'll want to practice. This podcast will tell you the stories of specialists from every field to give you the information to make sure you make the most informed decision possible when it comes to choosing your specialty. Welcome to Specialty Stories. My name is Dr. Ryan Gray, and I want to thank you for being here today so that you can learn all about a potential specialty that is in your future. This week, I have Dr. Alex Polotsky, a reproductive endocrinologist and infertility specialist who is also the program director here at the University of Colorado University Health System. So if you are potentially interested in OBGYN and reproductive endocrinology and infertility, this will be a great episode for you. Even if you are not interested in this, hearing from a program director will give you some insight into your future applications for a specialty as well. We start the conversation with how Dr. Polotsky first got interested in REI. It actually happened during the second year medical school class uh, that was on um, reproductive hormones uh, and reproductive health. And the course leader in the, uh, who ended up being my mentor um, gave an amazing talk about, about fertilization and early stages of human embryonic development and the things that one could do uh, in the embryo lab to help couples struggling with infertility, and I was hooked. What was it about it that that hooked you? It was just uh, a very unique combination of factors uh, that are rare in medicine that you have to do if you are in the field, you have to do a fair amount of medical management, making sure that all of the medical aspects of endocrine care are well addressed. Uh, there are some surgical procedures. There's definitely surgery that could and should be done appropriately. And there is a lot of uh, psychological concerns that have to be addressed adequately. So it felt like a unique combination of a variety of factors where you can do highly specialized care, but uh, but at the same time, establish a very close and personal relationship with a patient and a couple. Were there any other specialties that you were potentially interested in before this grabbed you? So, so interestingly enough, um, and that's advice that I often <laughs> give to uh, budding medical students or young physicians, a lot of times your preconceived notions going into medical school um, don't pan out. Mm -hmm. and, uh, so I thought I was going to be interested in being um, an internal medicine doctor. Like I thought it would be really exciting for me to be um, in a way a gatekeeper. Like when a patient comes in and and you can say, what bothers you? Like, what can I help you with? Mm -hmm. But then I realized I was actually much more driven to a field where I could be in a way, a final authority on a relatively narrow but um, specialized area, as opposed to 
having X um, uh, knowledge of a wide variety of issues, but maybe, but maybe not as an area expert. So in a way, it was um, completely contrary to what I thought I was going to be interested in going into medical school. But when I was uh, really doing my clinical rotations, I realized that I actually want to be a narrow expert as opposed to having a broad expertise. Now, what traits do you think lead to someone being a good reproductive endocrinologist and infertility specialist? And, and especially as the program director there, what are you looking for in those applications? Um, you really have to be comfortable with um, psychological aspects of, of patient care and uh, really having an approach that... Um, the patient is is always in the driver's seat, and you have to really listen to the concerns and um, understand that often enough folks are frustrated, confused, even discombobulated. You really have to make sure that you uh, address the um, the psychological underpinning of um, delivering healthcare even when it's so ultra-specialized in the area of, uh, of fertility. So I think one of the key factors is that people who do well in the field are usually folks who are um, good listeners, who, who don't get frazzled, who understand that, that folks will often be unhappy, um, will often complain and you really have to not mind the the human nature of a doctor patient interaction i think it's a it's a key if, if not the key of uh being a right fit for the specialty it seems to go against some of the the surgical stereotypes of just wanting to be a mechanic and and just do things, but it sounds like REI is much more intimately involved with the discussions and 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 dealing with that psychological side. I I really think that I won a jackpot because it's a, <laughs> it is a unique combination, and like I, I consider myself very fortunate that I'm I'm privileged enough to deliver. Um, to women and couples and individuals who are seeking fertility care, because it is it is truly a combination of, uh, of surgical procedures, medical management, and psychological aspects of doctor patient relationship. And if you and if you um, are not delivering on any one of those aspects, it's not going to work. For somebody who doesn't know about REI, what what would you tell him or her about the the types of patients that are coming to see you? Why they're coming to see an REI specialist? Um, a lot of times, the patients that are coming to see us are in need of a really highly specialized information that's delivered appropriately, and um, uh, that is delivered. Um, at the level where the patient is at, uh, meaning that you really have to make sure that you communicate effectively to the folks, uh, regardless of the level of knowledge of various procedures or surgeries or education or socioeconomic background or 
or language barriers. So there's a lot of challenge in um, really delivering appropriate information in a way that's user-friendly. And um, um, uh, in a way, a lot of times there are folks who uh, may not really be um, attracted to that part of um, the or the field of reproductive endocrinology. There are people who just want to concentrate on either more more cerebral aspects, more complicated things, or wider differential diagnosis, or more sophisticated and complicated surgical procedures. So in our field, we definitely have our fair share of both complicated medical management and um, and sophisticated surgical interventions. But, but uh, at the end of the day, the patients are not going to be satisfied if all they see is just a dry um, list of, uh, of services available and procedures uh, recommended. They really want to connect. For the students who love the investigation and, and trying to figure out what's going on, how much of that is involved in your day-to-day job? Or are you seeing patients who already understand why they have infertility issues and you just are there to, to help fix that? Uh, it's a mix. It's definitely a mix. Depending on the setting, it could be 50-50. It could be anywhere um, 20, uh, 25-75 one way or the other. I think it really depends on whether or not a couple or an individual has seen other practitioners or uh, whether they have really uh, received um, care. So um, people come from all different walks of life and uh, exposure. There are people who come with uh, encyclopedic knowledge and you really have to be an expert. And there are people who you have to start from page one. What does a typical week look like for you? So I, I'm involved in an academic practice. So um, I, um, um, I see patients usually about three and a half or four days a week, depending on the week during the month. And um, uh, by seeing patients, I include, um, include ultrasounds, um, new patient uh, encounters or, uh, uh, or follow-ups, office procedures, also surgical procedures in both IVF or in vitro fertilization lab and um, in the OR. Um, and I also, depending on the week, do administrative duties. I'm in charge um, of um, uh, our division at the medical school. And I also do a fair amount of research and uh, direct the fellowship. Now, for you, what what was the decision to be in academics versus going out into the community? Yeah, I think you can uh, you um, can and should provide excellence in both um, clinical care, which we definitely strive to be um, uh, as attentive to the needs of every single patient that comes in and outdoor as anybody else. But at the same time, there are aspects of care that um, uh, are really more amenable to either clinical research trials or attempts to understand the pathology um, of a condition better. And so uh, uh, an opportunity to be involved 
in further and research um, and really finding out the mechanisms why people may get uh, problems with fertility was very attractive. What does call look like for you? Um, so we share weekend call with other faculty members. And so uh, uh, which uh, could take uh, on any given weekend anywhere from just maybe about three, four hours to sometimes longer in the office. Um, and uh, there's a lot of phone call. Uh, so we don't have a lot of emergencies. Uh, our emergencies may either be related to um, an abnormal pregnancy that requires surgical intervention or sometimes complications of fertility treatments. So um, I would say that um, there is not a lot of house call, but um, there is a fair amount of weekends. Do you feel like you have enough time for life outside of the hospital? Oh yeah, no, no, absolutely. I, uh, my wife and I have, uh, have five kids. <laughs> she would not be still married to me if I if that. That uh, that is a lot of kids. Maybe you want to work a lot to to, uh, to avoid five kids. That's that's awesome. Um, <laughs> I, I praise your, your wife. Exactly it depends on your relationship. Um, for for somebody interested in REI, what's the training path look like to become uh, an REI specialist? It's uh, it's four years of OBGYN residency. And then three years of um, uh, subspecialty fellowship. So it's overall seven years. Okay. How competitive is it? Uh, it's pretty competitive. Um, uh, we usually, we, we have one spot for our fellowship. And wow. um, nationally, there is anywhere from, I believe, about 35 to 40 spots available nationally for all programs in the country. And we typically get anywhere from 80 to over 100 applications. How does somebody stand out? How does somebody be competitive with so few spots? Um, a lot of folks um, approach this um, uh, in a um, uh, so broad fashion that they uh, interviewed a lot of different places. Uh, if they don't have uh, geographic restrictions. And uh, I think it's, it is helpful to go around the country and just see what's available. Um, um, research opportunities and being able to take the project and complete it do help applicants to stand out. Um, leadership opportunities, uh, either during the residency training or otherwise are helpful. And um, a, a lot of, um, a lot of times we just want to make sure that there's a good fit, that the folks are um, ready and happy to be uh, good team members, that they're able to pitch in and they realize that um, you really have to be part of the team. For the osteopathic medical student or resident listening to this, what does he or she have to do to overcome any potential negative bias? I think it's the same thing. If you, if folks have um, uh, exposure to research and opportunity to show that they can take a project and complete it, 
um, and um, uh, appropriate uh, interest and uh, uh, opportunity to interact um, in a way that they could be uh, trusted to be a member of the team. We definitely have had um, great candidates who have come around from osteopathic medical school. So it's not um, it's not um, uh, an impediment. What do you know now that you wish you knew before going into REI? I'm very fortunate. It's a great field. I don't necessarily feel that anything that I do now will make me change my mind. Yeah. Good. What other specialties do you work the closest with? Uh, we do work a fair amount with the folks um, uh, who are reproductive urologists. So, um, um, and also like medical endocrinologists, psychologists. We work a lot uh, with um, embryologists who are not necessarily physicians, mm. but it, it is a big team. So we definitely have various people who interact with us on a daily basis. So it's, uh, it makes it fun. Are there any opportunities outside of clinical medicine that may be unique to REI? Yeah, yeah. So there's definitely exposure to... Um, um both uh, um and the chronology um um like clinical research where um where folks are uh, involved in looking at the databases and trying to figure out on the on the population level if they can make a contribution to understanding um of um of the problems that are facing us and also from the basic science lab, there's a lot of issues that still need to be um, looked into and uh, uncovered. So there is definitely a lot of opportunities from a non-clinical standpoint. What do you like the most about being an REI specialist? I love what I do. I, I think it's just an amazing privilege to be able to help the couples to do something that they're really hoping to achieve and are struggling with. What do you like the least? I don't know. I love it all. I'm an optimist. <laughs> yeah. You don't have to be an optimist when it comes to this field because a lot of times things just don't work. You have to be realistic and um, definitely um, use uh, the best judgment in recommending certain procedures. But I don't think I dislike a single thing. How hard are those phone calls to to hopeful parents when when... Uh, it doesn't implant. Um, you really, if you can't stand the heat, you should get out of the kitchen. <laughs> this is something that folks definitely have to be comfortable with. You yeah. have to be comfortable with having difficult conversations. That's not going to come from nowhere. Yeah. I think a lot of times the fellows who see patients with me come up to me and say, you know what, I, I really want to see how you do this since I, I have not really done this before. And it, it definitely could be hard. And the, um, there is definitely, um, many different ways to appropriately, uh, inform the patients of, um, uh, unsuccessful outcomes, but it's, uh, definitely part of the challenge. It's, uh, it's one of the things that makes it rewarding and exciting because, uh, one has to be able to deliver the news that are not always good. Yeah. And usually those expectations, hopefully those expectations are set up front. So it shouldn't be too big of a surprise if something doesn't work out. Yeah, it really depends. Uh, and it's um, just being 
um, being fair and appropriate and, and well-intentioned is very important. But uh, at the same time, I think there is a, uh, there's a fine line. You do want to um, provide appropriate opportunity to the patient. And um, mm. if, if, if you're offering a certain treatment, you should be excited about it. You should yeah. be able to tell them, yeah, I think it does make sense to you. It's not 100%. But um, something that makes sense, and you and you should be comfortable in recommending that. Yeah. What is the the biggest myth or misconception around REI that you think medical students or residents have about what you're doing? A few things about OBGYN in general is that many trainees don't really realize that. Uh, you tend to spend a lot of time with the patient, just making sure they're comfortable with how things are and how you uh, can try to understand the difficulty and, and try to help outline the options. Um, I think one of the things that is commonplace is that many, many trainees or students feel that um, most of the time you can pinpoint a problem and that's not necessarily true. A lot of times there is not enough, enough certainty to really tell what the issue is. And that's probably one of the hardest um, diagnoses to deliver to the patient um, of what we call unexplained infertility. Most patients tend to struggle with that in terms of really figuring out how, uh, how is it that you can still figure out why I'm not successful if everything is normal. So I think that's probably something that most folks don't realize that a lot of times you cannot always tell what the problem is, but you can still help. Do you see any major changes coming to the field that students should be aware of? The biggest change that uh, uh, will come about is a change you don't expect. So um, uh, a lot of times there are some advances in the field that will be incremental. This, uh, uh, there will be some that are really revolutionary. It's hard to tell at this point if, if, um, if there is a really a big advance coming down the pipe, but it's um, definitely the field is rapidly evolving. I um, was done with my fellowship um, uh, 12 years ago, and there are definitely certain aspects of care that are very different. And that's a relatively short period of time. So I'm sure there is something else that is, that is lurking around the horizon that I may not be able to tell you, but it's, uh, it's a great field. If you had to do it all over again, would you still be an REI doc? If I'm lucky enough to get in. <laughs> Any last words of wisdom for the, the medical student, the resident, the pre-med who may be interested in OBGYN and REI? I think a lot of times it just takes uh, some time to um, shadow physicians and maybe not, maybe not just one, maybe a couple or in different environments to figure out if that's what you want to do. Because unless you really see it, it's very hard to conceptualize what is life like on a day-to-day -day basis. And so if somebody is interested, I would definitely encourage them to try to see that they can shadow folks um, and just see what they do and figure out if, if that makes sense to them. All right, there you have it. Again, Dr. Polotsky talking about reproductive endocrinology and infertility medicine and his role as the program director. Hopefully this 
episode was helpful for you to give you some insight into the residency application process and fellowship application process to help you in your journey to the specialty of your choice. Hope you have a great week. We'll see you next time where we talk to a palliative care physician as well. When we talk to an oncologist and palliative care physician. This is MedEd Media.